series called Their Own Eyes. And uh, it is a study on the book of Judges. And last week, we started by talking about Samson and the birth of Samson, the uniqueness of his birth, uh, just some of the details around that, how God uh, gave him a purpose from before he was ever born, um, and how God gives us a purpose as well, that you have a purpose, that I have a purpose. And, and while our purpose likely was not given to us, or at least to our parents from the angel of the Lord, like I told my group Wednesday night when we met, um, an angel of the Lord did not appear to Tim and Mary Grifford to tell them that I would be doing this 41 years later, okay? Um, that's just something that the Lord's just going to have to, to, us that we're going to have to be led by the Spirit to sort out. Um, but for Samson, that purpose was to free Israel, to free his people out from under the oppression of the Philistines, okay? And so when we, when we pick up the story of Samson, Samson is now a grown man. Okay, we, we can pick it up in Judges 14 if you have your Bibles with you. But Samson is, is a grown man, and Samson is now interested in grown man things, as you will soon learn very quickly. But in Judges uh, chapter 14, beginning in verse 1, it says this. Samson went down to Timnah, which is a Philistine city, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. And then he came up and told his father and mother... I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as a wife. Now, this presents two problems, okay? Uh, the first problem being, uh, for his parents, this woman is likely not a believer in the one true God, the God of Israel. She's a Philistine. She probably worships uh, Philistine gods, um, worships them. That's part of her culture, okay? So that's problematic because she's not a believer. The second thing is that the calling that the angel of the Lord put on his life, the calling that the angel told his parents is that Samson would be raised to make war against the Philistines, that he would, he would um, stir up conflict with them. So marrying into a Philistine family is probably not the best way okay, to make conflict. Some of us would disagree because conflict is created by the people that we marry and the families we marry, but that's another story. Um, but normally this is a way that you would make peace is if, if you married into family. So Samson's mother and father are a, little, are a little troubled by this, okay? Verse 3, but his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you must go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? His parents are like, what about, what about Tina down the street? Like, what about Debbie? She's cute. What about Jenny? I mean, yes, she's got the whole unibrow thing going on, but she's funny. Like, she, she's a sweet girl. Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. That's a way of saying it, man, isn't it? Like, so in other words, she's fine. She is, she looks good. She is right in my eyes. Okay? And so what we see here is that Samson's parents don't know it, but God is actually using this because in verse 4, it says that his father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. So in other words, God is using this situation. Okay? God is using this uh, predicament, if you will, to begin to stir the situation with Samson and with the Philistines. 
And so verse 5, Then Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah, and they came to the vineyards of Timnah. And behold, a young lion came toward him roaring. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. Okay? So however you tear a young goat... Right, Whatever way you do that, Lane, whatever way you do it, I've got my way of doing it. But however you do it, this is how Samson tore this lion into pieces. Okay, um, But he did not tell his father or mother what he had done. Now to me, there are two miracles that are happening in this very short passage. Apparently his father and mother split off because at first they're with him, but then they don't know about the lion. Uh, but for me, there's two miracles here. The first miracle is that Samson was even able to do this. But the other miracle is that he didn't tell anybody. Because if I kill a lion with my bare hands, I'm telling everybody. Like, I'm, I'm taking selfies. You're going to hear about it for weeks, okay? I'm going to work it into a sermon for weeks. I'm taking selfies with that thing. Hashtag, you know, overcoming the lion or whatever. You know, you would, I might even put it on the church's Facebook page, right? As, as like a background until the session tells me to take it down. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share that. I'm going to tell that to everybody. Okay, so story goes on, verse 7. Then he went down and talked with the woman, and she was, again, right in Samson's eyes. Notice some of that language, because we've talked about for weeks how certain things are right in the eyes of, of the people, that they do what's right in their own eyes. She was right in Samson's eyes. After some days, he returned to take her, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion, and behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion and honey. Verse 9 says that he scraped it out into his hands. Now, this is a problem for Samson, isn't it? Because we talked last week, we talked about how Samson was to be a Nazarite, that he was to take the Nazarite oath from the day that he was born. And basically, to summarize that, he was to abstain from anything from the vine, so any kind of wine or fruit or anything like that. So, so drinking mainly no alcohol. He was to not cut his hair. And he was to uh, not come into the presence of any carcasses or bodies or anything like that. So already he's violated one of those three by coming in contact with uh, this, this carcass. He scraped it out into his hand and went on eating as he went. And he came to his father and mother and gave some to them and they ate. But he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey from the carcass of the lion. Okay. So it's one thing to violate this rule, but can we all agree that it's just a totally different level when you're eating out of the roadkill, right? Like, and, and you want to talk about not telling his parents where he got it? Like, it's no wonder that people don't trust potlucks, right? Because you don't know what kitchen that came from. Like, you don't know if they let their cats walk on the countertops, or you don't know, you don't know how they cook their stuff. So this is why, okay, Samson... You need to at least tell him where you got the honey, okay? So, gets the honey. Samson, the wedding date is set. They are arranging the marriage with this woman. And, and what you'll see me kind of do throughout this passage is I'll, I'll read some of the text and then I'll paraphrase other parts of the text. That, that way I'm not reading to you the entire time. But uh, Samson has set the wedding date, and these wedding feasts would go on for several days and, and stretch out over time. And there were, there were 30 guys from this Philistine community. Uh, maybe they were coming in to check out this new guy, this guy from another, another country that was marrying one of their own. 
And Samson decides to challenge them to a battle of wits, if you will. He tells them, I have a riddle for you. And if you can guess the answer, if you can answer my riddle correctly, I will give you, 30 of you, I will give you each a change of clothes, a set of clothes. Okay? But if you cannot answer my riddle at the end of all the wedding festivities, then you will each have to give me one of your garments. Okay? So high risk for Samson. Uh, low risk for them. So they say, sure, what is your riddle? And this is the riddle. Samson tells them, he says, out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. Okay, knowing the context of the story, you know the answer. And so for three days, the men stewed on what this answer was and they couldn't come up with anything. So they go to this woman, this woman in their village that Samson was going to marry and they say, look, we can't answer this. We have no clue what the answer is and we're about to lose out. So you either tell us the answer, get this answer from him or we're gonna burn down your father's house. And so lo and behold, they get the answer from her. She gets the answer from Samson and they go to Samson and say to him, what is sweeter than honey, and what is stronger than a lion. And what follows next is, is one of the uh, greatest, funniest responses in the Bible. Samson says, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. So, <laughs> so Samson now owes these guys different different types of clothing, garments of clothing. And so what does he do? Verse 19, okay, so you can jump ahead to verse 19. It says, And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon and struck down 30 men of the town and took their spoil and gave the garments to those who had, he had told the riddle. In hot anger, he went back to his father's house, and Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had been his best man. So had I been one of these 30 guys and received a garment from Samson just dripping in blood, uh, thank you, let's not do business with him ever again, right? That would be concerning for me if, if I were in that position. And so uh, it doesn't seem necessarily like this is something that when the Spirit of the Lord rushes over us that we should do. Like when the Spirit of the Lord comes upon us, um, it doesn't seem like it should drive us to go out and murder people. But this is, these are very different times. These are very interesting times because what has God called Samson to do? He has called Samson to rise up okay, and to create war, create turmoil with the Philistines. Because what we see is that Israel is living at peace with them. Israel is living comfortably with them. And that's part of the problem. That's why we don't see, last week we talked about how we don't see any cries for repentance. We don't, see, we don't see Israel repenting in any way because they're totally comfortable, totally fine, living under the impression of the Philistines, serving them as slaves, worshiping their gods. Life is good, life is comfortable for them. Samson's purpose was to stir that up, was to change all that, to create friction. And so God is creating that tension and creating that strife through this, as you can already see. So Samson has just killed 30 of their men, and he's about to get even more mad because his wife has been given away. And so after some time, Samson returns to his wife. After he's calmed down, he's returned to his wife, only to find out 
that her father has given her away to another man. And so the father says to him, look, okay, this is really awkward. Um, I thought that we, when you went psycho earlier and called my daughter a heifer and killed like those 30 guys, uh, then you stormed off. I thought that you weren't coming back, okay? Like safe to say, I think that we would all agree that people would think that. And so I gave her to someone else. So once again, Samson gets angry. And what does he do? He does what, what all we would do. And he collects 300 foxes. He ties their tails together. He puts a torch in between, like in the middle of that knot, and he lights it on fire, and he releases these foxes into the fields for all of the fields to be burned. Some commentators say that it was likely jackals that he collected because jackals um, travel in packs. But anyways, I, I can't imagine how long that would take. But this is what Samson does in retaliation. The fields are burned. I'm sure there's many homes that were burned. It's likely that people lost their lives. But Samson, in his rage, in his frustration, sets much of this village on fire. And so the people wondering who is responsible for this, the Philistines wanting to know who is to answer for this, find out that it was Samson. And to get their revenge on Samson, they take his father-in-law and his would-be wife, and they burn them to death. Okay? And so what does Samson do? He gets revenge on them, he gets mad, and he kills them. So you see this turmoil that's happening, right? You see this fighting, you see this friction that Samson is causing with these, with these people. All right, so if you, if you have your Bibles open, go to Judges 15 and look at verse 9. This is where we'll pick it up. Then the Philistines, again, the Philistines came up and encamped in Judah and made a raid on Lehi. And the men of Judah said, why have you come up against us? They said, we have come to bind up Samson, come up to bind Samson, to do to him as he has done to us. Now, you have to remember that the people of Judah, this is one of the tribes in Israel. Okay? These are the good guys. All right? Samson is from the tribe of Dan. Judah is a different tribe. So they're almost kind of distant cousins, but they are Israelites. And so the Philistines are asking them, hey, we're, we're raiding Judah's life. What do you need? What do you want us to do? Okay? And so verse 11 says that 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock in Et at Etam and said to Samson, do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this that you have done to us? And he said to them, as they did to me, so I have done to them. Because if you remember, Israel is fine with life under the Philistines. Okay? Samson's kind of messing some things up. right? Verse 12, And they said to him, We have come down to bind you, that we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, Swear to me, that you will not attack me yourselves. And they said to him, this is Judah, no, we will, not only, uh, we will only bind you and give you into the hands. We will surely not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. Okay, so why, why does Judah tie up Samson and hand him over to the Philistines? Why, why would they do that? Because Samson is disrupting their way of life, right? Yes, they might be under the rule of the Philistines. Yes, they might be their slaves. Yes, they might, they might be oppressed. But God's people are comfortable with it. So like I said earlier, this is why there is no repentance. They're not crying out for help. They're fine with the arrangement, okay? They don't, they don't mind 
Okay, being distant from God, they're fine worshiping the Philistine gods. They're fine doing life with them. They're fine intermarrying and all those things that God has called them not to do. And so I don't know how many of you, maybe this isn't the case as much anymore, but, but when you were younger, you'd, you'd go out places and you always had that friend that just kind of had to mouth off about something. Like you, you know that person that goes places and can't keep their mouth shut. They, they stir up trouble. Um, I have, another example is, have you ever gone and had lunch or dinner with a group of people and there's always that one person that talks to the waiter or waitress more than anybody else? Like, they, they just can't help but, like, tell a joke or tell a life story or ask him about whatever. They're being kind. I have a, a really good friend, and he might be watching, so I'm going to go ahead and say this knowing that he might be watching. But anytime you go out and eat with him, he has these long conversations with the waiter or waitress, and he takes out a $1 bill, and he, and he takes George Washington's head, and he turns it into a mushroom. Have you guys ever seen that trick? And then he gives the dollar to the waiter. Like, going and having lunch with Willie, you, you know that something like that is going to happen, right? And so we all know people who are going to stir the pot one way or another. We all know people who are going to say something and, and sort of implicate you in some way. And that's exactly who Samson is. And so these men are thinking, if we can get rid of Samson... Like, life is going to be better for us. Like, these Philistines, they won't come and kill us. They won't come and try to steal our stuff. Let's give them what they want. Let's, let's just turn, the, you know, Samson over to him because we're comfortable, right? And, and for you and I, I think that can resonate sometimes because sometimes we're comfortable in our own sin. Like, we're comfortable with the way things life are. We don't necessarily want anybody calling us out. We don't want anybody uh, challenging us in any way. We're fine, we're comfortable, just the way things are. And so Samson comes in to disrupt that for the people of Israel. And so the story continues. Judah hands Samson over to the Philistines. And when the Philistines get him, the Spirit of the Lord once again rushes on Samson. And the Bible tells us that he slaughters a thousand of them with the jawbone of a donkey. Right? So we have these casualties. We have the 30 men that he has killed for their garments earlier. Uh, we have Samson burning down fields, right? All of these things. Samson, again, is creating conflict, is creating unrest, right? And so we also discover about Samson's nature, not, not just in his, in his anger, but he is a man driven by anger. He's also a man driven by his desire of women, and unfortunately, the wrong kind of women. And there's a lot, a whole lot of insecurity around that as well, okay? Because if you think about his first wife, okay? Uh, the wife who was given to someone else and who was later killed. Like, ladies, it, it probably would have been a red flag to you that if during your rehearsal dinner, your, your fiancé went crazy and murdered 30 people, right? Like, the, like you, I would hope that you would have a bridesmaid come to you and, and say, like, look, Denise, like, I know that you think he's cute. I'm just not sure if he's the right fit. Like, not only did he kill all of these people, but I heard that he eats roadkill, too. Like, I don't know if you can trust what he's going to bring home, like, for dinner. Like, there, there's just a lot of red flags. So, so not only does Samson uh, pursue the wrong kind of women for the wrong kind of reasons, but he overreacts for, all, for just about everything 
Okay, he's very reactionary. He's very, he's very uh, brutal and bitter in the way that he treats people and the way that he responds things. But, but what's amazing about this is that even in all of those things, God is using him okay, for his purpose, for the ways that God ha- has raised him and designed him to be. Because what God knew... Right? This doesn't give us the permission. Men, this doesn't give us the permission to go and, and pursue the wrong kind of women and to be uh, violent and brutal and all those things. And women, it means just the opposite. It doesn't mean that you need to pursue the wrong kind of people. But God knew that Samson was going to do Samson. God knew who Samson was going to be. And, and despite all of his flaws, despite all of just the broken things and the broken character that we see in the person of Samson, God can still use that for his glory. And so in chapter 15, again, we see Samson uh, meet up with a prostitute, and the Philistines are trying to trap him, okay, to, to get him and to kill him. Samson fights through that trap and, and fights off many of them. And, and it, the Bible actually says that he takes this gate from this Philistine city and walks an entire gate and plants it in the ground about 40 miles away, right? So again, Samson creating conflict constantly creating conflict with the Philistines. Okay? And on a different occasion, with a different woman, we meet the infamous Delilah, right? This is Judges 16 and verse 4. It says, After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came to her and said to her, Seduce him and see where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him that we may bind him to humble him, and we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. It's, it, it's said and believed, at least in the days of, of David and King Saul, that there was about five lords of the Philistines. And so if they each gave her that much, you're looking at something close to ninety dollars to $100,000 is how much they're offering Delilah to, to make this happen. Okay? And so what we'll see over the course of this chapter is we see a very dysfunctional, a very, a very unhealthily dependent relationship between Samson and Delilah. One where she is in it for the money, he is in it for the pleasure. And, and probably some of the danger as well. But not only is, is Delilah in it for the money, but the lords of the Philistines. Like these aren't not just some of the local Joes in the village, but these are the rulers of their country are coming to her asking for her help. So she is likely to be, if she pulls this off, not only to be wealthy, but a hero, right? A, a, a national symbol to the country if she can do this. And so verse 6 says that Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one could subdue you. And so Samson and Delilah go into this back and forth that you can read about where she asks them, what must we do to, to, to bind you, to, to keep you to where you can't do anything? And he says, well, if you get these bowstrings, if you get new bowstrings, you, you can do this and then I won't be able to move. And then they do that and then he breaks free. And then she asks him again, okay, really, what is it that we can do to, to make sure to bind you to where you can't move? He says, well, if you get uh, maybe new cords, you can do it. So they do this back and forth, back and forth, until finally um, she comes to a point, Delilah comes to this point where she's frustrated, and then she begins to play on his emotional side, okay? And, and begin to, begins to lay it on thick. And she says to him in verse 15, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? 
you have mocked me these three times and you have not told me where your strength lies. If you tell me, you'll, if you love me, you'll tell me, right? Okay. And so verse 16 says that when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. And so she finally wore him down day after day after day. So if, if Samson had good friends, if Samson wasn't so toxic, this is where his friends would come in and say, bro, this is like a day at the beach during hurricane season. There's so many red flags here. Like you need to get out of these waters. You need to run as far and as fast as you can. And so verse 17 tells us that he told her all his heart and said to her, a razor has never come upon my head for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, he sent, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines saying, come up again for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up, up to her and brought the money in their hands. She says, fellas, we got him. She made him sleep on her knees and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Okay, so this is the second of three Nazarite vows that Samson has now, even if it's against his will, that he has, has violated. The text says, then she began to torment him. She began to taunt him and his strength left him. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And when you don't have much of a relationship with God, it's hard to know when he's with you and when he's not, right? So he had no clue, but the presence of the Lord has left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes, ouch, and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shekels. And he ground at the mill in the prison. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. And they said, our God has given Samson our enemy into our hands. And when the people saw him, they praised their God for they said, our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country. You would call him that too after all the things that Samson has done, who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were married, they said, call Samson that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison and he entertained them and they made him stand between the pillars. Now, the way that this kind of plays itself out is if, you, if you've ever seen a James Bond movie, it never fails. At some point in the movie, the villains capture James Bond. And rather than kill him immediately, what do they do? They tell him their entire plan, right? They, they want him to experience it. Rather than kill him immediately, they'll say, Mr. Bond, my plan all along was to destroy the moon. And I know how much you love the moon, so I'm going to make you sit there and watch me destroy the moon. Here's exactly how I'm going to destroy the moon. Now watch in fear as your moon is destroyed. And so what happens? James Bond escapes. He stops the destruction of the moon and saves the day. This seems like a great time to just go ahead and kill Samson, right? Why would they possibly keep him alive? Like, what's the reason? What's the purpose? And, and the more you think about it, Samson is a great prize. 
Like here you have one of the, the infamous heroes of the Israelites. You have one of the judges. A judge has never been defeated in the history of Israel. And we've got one. And we have brought him to his knees. We've gouged out his eyes. He is grinding grain like some kind of animal. This is, this is a trophy to us. This is a trophy to the Philistine victory. This is a trophy of our, of our prominence, of our dominance. We are showing the entire world that while all these other co- uh, cultures and countries, they couldn't get one of these judges, but we got one because we are superior. And not only are we superior, but our gods are superior to the God of Israel as well. And so verse 26 says, Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, let me feel the pillars on which the house rests that I may lean against them. And now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there. And on the roof, there were 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. And then Samson called the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me. Samson humbles himself, asking God to remember him. He says, remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O God that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. And so the first time in Israel, for the very first time, God's judge has been defeated. The most important moment in Samson's life is his death. Okay, the thing he has been called to do, the purpose that he has been called to fulfill, okay, the promise, the purpose that the angel gave to his parents so long ago is fulfilled in his death. And so Samson is a man used by God despite his his being ruled by lust, by anger, by bitterness, by rebellion and brutality. When Samson was led to those two pillars, he had no clue if God would hear his voice. He had no clue if God would answer his prayers. Here is Samson, just a a shell of himself, a once strong, powerful man reduced to a sideshow. And he's called to be the entertainment by these Philistines at this party. Now, I don't know what it meant for him to, to entertain them. If, uh, if they just sort of gawked at him, if they threw food at him, if they threw rocks at him, if they had some kind of rock throwing contest, if you get extra points for hitting him in the head, uh, we don't know who was there. It's likely that the men who helped capture him were there. They could treat him like a pinata, kick him in the ribs, punch him in the face, have him guess which one just just hit him. I wonder if Delilah was there. Makes sense if she would be. She's a national hero. She's wealthy now, recognized by the lords of the Philistines. I could see that if she was there, I could see her getting really close to Samson, right? Just feet away, far enough away that he couldn't reach out and swing at her and say to him, hey, Samson, it's me, Delilah. Can't you see? Oh, wait, that's right, you can't. I'm rich now, you know. Got all this money. Look at you. You're reduced to nothing. 
to think that you are ever something. Reduce, reduce to this to shell, to reduce to this sideshow. Samson, no one's coming for you. No one's coming to help you. No one's coming to rescue you. Your people have abandoned you. Your God has abandoned you. You're all alone. And you will be our little circus act for the rest of your life. It's a hard thing to swallow, isn't it? Last week, I, I briefly mentioned that there's some similarities in the way that Jesus died and the way that Samson died. And um, Samson's death, while there's definitely a lot of differences in their life, Samson's death is, is, a, is a picture and a shadow of the death of Jesus. And what do I mean when I say that? When, when you're walking alongside other people on a sunny day, you see your shadows, right? And, and you can kind of tell whose shadow is who. It's like, well, that's clearly the shadow of a woman. That's clearly the shadow, shadow of a guy who's wearing shorts. And so a shadow can give us an idea of what it looks like, right? And that's exactly what Samson's death is compared to the death of Jesus. Because many, both of them had very, very similar deaths. Both men were betrayed by someone close to them. Okay, Samson by Delilah, Judah, Jesus with Judas. Both were rejected by their own people and turned over to Gentile oppressors. Both were mocked, chained, and tortured, okay, and asked to entertain, although Jesus refused to entertain. Both appeared to be completely struck down and destroyed by their enemies. Both men died with their arms stretched out. Samson silenced and defeated the voices of his enemies, those voices that spoke against him, those voices that taunted him, those hands that beat him, and the eyes that looked on him with shame. Jesus on the cross silenced the voices of your enemy. Voices that tell you that God has abandoned you. Voices that tell you that you are gross, that you are sinful, that you are unworthy of love. Jesus silenced those voices that tell you that you are not worth saving. And so those things, those voices that Samson silenced in part, Jesus silences for us in full. And when he went to the cross, his death defeated and silenced Satan to silence the, the accusations that he throws against us. Jesus silenced the power that sin has over us, that we could live into the fullness of life, a life of purpose, a life of meaning, the life that he has set out for us. And so when we look at the story of Samson, we see this picture, we see the shadow uh, of a Savior that can set us free and give us victory for all time. And so there's, there's an enemy. It's good for us to know there is an enemy that works against us. The very name of Satan means accuser because that's what he does. He accuses you. He accuses you of all the things that you've ever done. He reminds you how much of a failure that you think you are. He tells you how things will go wrong. He tells you that what you do will never matter, that you'll never measure up, that you're unworthy of love. And so anytime when you, you doubt, anytime that you have doubts that God is for you, anytime that you have doubts that God's with you, that he has a plan for you, anytime that you, you feel the weight of shame and you feel the weight of guilt, be reminded that just as Samson brought down the house on those Philistines, 
Jesus brought down the house on those accusations. Jesus brought down the house on your sin and mine to set us free. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you. We thank you for your word, God. And, and as, we, as we look at the story in particular in Judges in Samson, Lord, we see that, we see that Samson is, is brought to a state of weakness. Here was a man, once incredibly strong, is made weak. And God, you do a miracle in his life and you do a work in his life. And, and Lord, I think of, of you. I think of Jesus who made himself weak by choice and went to the cross willingly for us to set us free from our sin, to give us life and to give us hope. And so God, may we, may we be people who uh, are, that make ourselves weak, that we see our own inadequacies, that we see uh, where we fall short, Father, and we give those things to you, that we can be reminded that you have put to death those lies about us, that you have put to death the sin and the shame uh, that we carry with us, Father, and you give us new life and you give us freedom in that. In Jesus' name, amen.